0: Hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host Claire Watkins. This week I am joined by Equalizer contributor John Halloran. How's it going John?
1: I'm good. A lot of soccer today.
0: A lot of soccer today. We're recording this on Sunday evening so forgive us if our our brains get blurry or if we miss something that happened on Monday. Uh, We're trying to get this in right at the end of all of these NWSL games and in fact Not only were there a lot of games on Sunday, just a lot of games this week. We had two NWSL games on Wednesday, one on Saturday, and another four on Sunday. So what we're going to do is something that we've done once before this season, and it just seems like it's worth doing rather than sort of glossing over anything. We're going to take this table-wise, talk about teams, talk about the weeks that they have, uh, the weeks that they had this week, or even just how things are going this month, going into really the home stretch of the season. There are a number of teams who have eight or seven NWSL games left in the season. So we are really getting down to crunch time. And I would say that this week established some things, but also still a little bit muddy looking at the end, of end results of this weekend. So we might not have a ton of conclusions, but it's worth taking a bigger picture look when we do have so many games. So real quick, I'm going to give you all of the teams and the order that they are in. And then we will start at the top and run to the bottom. In first place, we have the Portland Thorns with 32 points in second, the North Carolina Courage with 28 points in third, OL Reign with 25, Orlando Pride and Chicago Red Stars are tied in fourth and fifth at 24 points. The Washington Spirit are currently in sixth with 23, Gotham in seventh with 21, the Houston Dash in eighth also with 21, Racing Louisville in ninth with 16 points, Kansas City in tenth with 10. So let's start at the top here, Portland Thorns, John. Did you watch any of the ICC last week?
1: Uh, not much, no.
0: Well, so you so you didn't hear that the Portland Thorns are the best team in the world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's be fair. They've been the best team in the league.
0: That's very true. Yes. No, they kind of established that. So Portland, I don't even know if I would go to say as this was like a bad week for them. They win their midweek game against Gotham two to one. They look pretty dominant in that game. I think the XG had them above two. I think that the XG against Gotham was sub one. They played a pretty good game. They win that one, despite the fact that Gotham did a nice job coming back at the very end to try to even it up. They do lose the big headliner this weekend, though. The trip up to actual proper Seattle. They went up (laughs) to Seattle. Imagine there was a rain game in Seattle this weekend. That's lovely to hear. They lose to the rain two to one. On a Megan Rapinoe brace, they did get one back, a goal from Angela Salem. Felt a little bit like maybe the extra friendlies, the ICC, just even the exceptional run of play over the last, they went two months without losing a game. It all just kind of caught up to them maybe. Yeah,
1: and they're bringing back their Olympians too. Um, And, you know, obviously everybody's doing that over the past couple of weeks, but I think with them, their Olympians are some really key pieces to their team and right through the center of their team as well. So obviously the adjustment is going to be a little bit larger.
0: Right. And so my question for you, John, and probably too early to say, but we've talked about in the past about how looking at the strengths of Mark Parsons as a coach, and I've sung his Mm -hmm. praises quite a bit over the last couple of months, especially with what he's done with the non Olympian part of that team if there have ever been question marks or wrinkles or hiccups in the team's plan, it has actually kind of come in this period that reintegration of the team's stars without a lot of time to remeld, because like I said, they've got eight, seven games left. So did what you saw against Seattle, did that make you wonder if that was happening? If, if this is happening again, or did you think to yourself, well, Olympians played about a half hour against Lyon, Portland wins that game. They play more against Gotham, Portland wins that game. They just don't happen to win this one.
1: I almost go opposite and kind of looking at how well they performed over the break mm-hmm. and and just kind of still am impressed with how they did during that period because it's just so hard to look at that team and think that they're not going to figure out a way to put those pieces together, you know, and, and he's done this before. And <clears throat> they, they just have so much talent that I can't imagine um, that they're not going to find a way to make that work together. And with the depth that they have, when you look today, even, you know, bring Hubbley and, and Weaver off the bench, those are two really important players for them and they just have a lot of different options that he can go to I think the biggest thing is probably figuring out who his first 11 is you know by the time you get into the playoffs or even even in these last couple of weeks you need to figure out how you want to set up how you want to play and um, that's kind of the adjustment that they have to go moving forward
0: yeah, I think it's also significant that Simone Charlie and Megan Klingenberg weren't available for this game. Um, those are a couple major pieces. I think that Megan Klingenberg, low-key, low kind of quietly, is having, in my opinion, absolutely an NWSL best 11 kind of a season. I think you maybe have to look at her as a possible defender of the year candidate not only just from the outside back position, this is kind of a funny way to say it, but she also has played a little bit in the midfield for them and been very important for them. So she was not playing in this game. She's also someone that, if you think of the Cascadia rivalry, she is someone who can kind of match that energy sort of wherever they are. And I think that her, she was deeply missed in this one. Um, I will just go ahead and say, and again, we're focusing on Portland. We'll talk about Oval Rain in a second. Portland, again, just kind of looking at the stats and the stats don't tell the whole story, but Portland outshot, out outpossessed the rain in this game. So Portland was still kind of playing Portland Thorns soccer. They just didn't have that extra sort of maybe pace or dual ability or just that final piece in front of goal. That leads me to think that I'm not sure there are any major red flags to this loss other than it's a high profile one and they'll be annoyed that they lost it, but um I don't know. I don't know if what I saw was significantly different than what we've seen over the break. Other than that, it was just a little bit more passive, perhaps, than some of the other performances we've seen.
1: They probably got a little unlucky on the handball, too. I mean, not that it wasn't a handball, but just saying that.
0: If that's the difference maker. Right.
1: You give up a penalty and then the score is 2-1.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So I think maybe the takeaway here is that Portland is still in a very good position. North Carolina did not win this weekend, so they didn't really close that gap a ton. Um, We will continue to see how Portland tries to peak with their best 11 going forward, but points-wise, they're in a very good position. I would actually anticipate them clinching playoffs relatively soon. I think they'll probably do that in the next three games or so. So um, not a terrible week for Portland, but they didn't cap it off with the performance that they wanted. So speaking of performances that were perfectly fine, but nothing all that exciting this week. We did have the North Carolina courage. They only played one game. They only had the weekend game. They tied the Washington spirit. Nil, nil, no goals, um, pretty even match. Both teams, I think handled the ball pretty similarly. There were a lot of shots. Not many of them were shots on goal. I don't know. This is a weird one. I will say this. How about this, John before this game, not just this game, but the game before that and the game before that and the game before that. Uh, are you, in the context of just this season surprised that North Carolina has established themselves as the clear number two, as the clear challenger.
1: I think that's probably fair considering the players they were missing at the beginning of the season. And now with us knowing definitively that Abby Del Kemper is not coming back to, to shore up their defense. I think that obviously What they have is what they have now going forward. They're not getting that one more player to kind of put them over the top, or at least as far as we know. And so, yeah, I guess I would say that if you had told me that you're losing Crystal Dunn, that you're going to have Sam Mewis for a handful of games because she's going to be gone now for six to eight weeks with the announcement this week, and you're not going to have dull Kemper. I would have been a little bit surprised to say that they were as dominant. I don't, they haven't lost, I think in six weeks now, which is pretty yes. crazy. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. They have a couple ties in there, but yeah, no, they haven't lost a game in a long time. Um, yeah. Agreed. As you said, just to, to clarify exactly what you're saying, we did get news this week that Sam U.S. is getting cleanup surgery in her knee it was established, not a new injury, but one that they felt like this was the point in time to clean that up. It meant that she'd been dealing with some pain, hard to know exactly if that's something that has gotten significantly worse, but obviously maybe you look at her Olympics and think maybe she hit a breaking point there. Uh, we also got the news that Abby Dahlkemper. we got these, this news just today that North Carolina transferred her rights over to the Houston dash there are future considerations involved. We still don't know exactly what those are, but we do know that the dash paid North Carolina, $25,000 for the rights to Abby Dahlkemper. Kemper. We do not know how long she will be with the team. We do not know what future considerations North Carolina might be getting. I would say that one of the oddities of where we're sitting right now with the understanding again, that we're probably going to be getting more information is that North Carolina has made two high profile trades in the last month or so both of which seemed to kind of put the team at a disadvantage they took really two really good young players moved them out to kansas city they obviously brought a rod in who is a very capable player as well but just numbers wise that felt like they put themselves at a disadvantage and then this trade which as of this moment north carolina hasn't gotten anything back for that other than the twenty five thousand dollars so like john said this North Carolina team, this is who they are. But in the NWSL this season, that's been good enough for one of the pole positions for the playoffs.
1: It has, and you know they they had gone to a three front. Was it last weekend? They were back in a two front, back in the box midfield this week. They also accrued a lot of cash in that Kansas City trade, which a lot of us thought yeah. was going to be used for Kemper. and now they've gotten more cash. So who knows what they're planning on doing with all of that as well.
0: Right. So maybe not something that gets revolved this season, but they obviously have to think that they have the ability to be dangerous regardless. And I think we're seeing a number of teams make that decision where we're not seeing, and this makes sense going into, there's going to be double expansion in the off season. We're either through per like individual circumstances or larger team stewardship, we're not seeing a lot of home run swings in terms of this midseason, any sort of midseason acquisition, which part of that might be that they know that they're not going to be rewarded for that in, in this off season coming up. So interesting to see North Carolina, again, has to feel good about where they're at. They need to get Sam Mewis back. They, Abby Erceg did not play in this game. I'm sure that she is a very important part of what they're doing going forward, but yeah, they haven't lost in a long time and they're making a run at it. You know, the only the difference between North Carolina and Portland right now is only four points. So they have to think that they still have a stone's throw at the shield as well. So moving on to third. Now, this one's interesting. O.L. Rain. O.L. Rain has shot to third, not because they have gone unbeaten for long stretches, but because they are specifically winning games. They are getting three points from, I think, 90% of their last six or seven games, and that has shot them up to third place. They seem like kind of a win-or-lose deal right now. They remind me a little bit of Chicago in 2019, maybe, where when it's all there, they look really good, and they're able to stack those points up, and then sometimes they have these games where it's not all clicking, but they had a very good weekend. They set the new, and I'm sorry, guys, I have to put a caveat here. They set a new NWSL record for attendance, 27,248, which is a magnificent number by any stretch. It was a doubleheader with the Seattle Sounders. It is not the standalone NWSL record for attendance, but nonetheless, a very good achievement in Seattle. Um, Yeah, they beat Portland two to one. And I just want to say this is going back to their game last weekend. Megan Rapino looks very engaged for all, all rain right now, which I'm not sure I would have predicted post Olympics. What about you, John?
1: Yeah, that's a fair question. I It's funny because we were just talking about Sam Mewis and I was thinking this this weekend watching another U.S. player back. I was like, oh, isn't this the time that you're supposed to have your post major tournament surgeries and be out, you know, for, for a few weeks. But, uh, yeah, she, she seems like she's ready to go. She had a nice goal tonight. Uh, I gotta tell you, if, if I was a forward though, I'd be pretty excited about stepping into that team. You've got Jess Fishlock to feed you balls. You've got, um, Marjan, you've, you've got Lisa Mayer. um, they have a lot of nice pieces. I think it would probably be really fun as an attacking player to be out on the field for that team right now.
0: Right. And that's sort of the vibe, right? Which is it's not even that they are more attacking than they were under Farid Ben Cause I was a very attacking team even back then, but there's an understanding maybe of where everybody wants to be. And there was a funny moment where we thought maybe Quinn was going to be playing center back tonight they were not they played the six but um that was just kind of a lineup a lineup <laughs> we should joke talk
1: about that though because the whole their whole lineup did not look like what was what was put out there right um Quinn did play in the six right but then Barnes who's been playing wide all season comes into the middle right and then Huerta comes to play right back yeah which is the the 2017 I suppose throwback it it really was pretty wild watching the, the first few minutes of that game and trying to figure out how they were set up compared to that that opening graphic.
0: Right and you have to think under a different coach. You look at something like that and you go, "Uh-oh." <laughs> but under Laura Harvey, it feels like at the very least the players are 100% bought in and they also feel like they're trusted to play the way they want to play. And I think that's maybe the biggest difference you're seeing here. Right.
1: I think other than Marjan is as, as a false nine. I think everything else is about what you would expect in terms of natural positions. We, we can quibble over Huerta, but I mean, she's got experience. She played, I think a little over a year with the national team at that position. Um. Barnes, I think, is a natural center back more so than an outside back. <clears throat> and then, as you mentioned, as we talked about before the game, when they when they had Quinn listed originally as a center back, um, but then they played in the six, which I think is is their natural position, and then Fishlock pushed up a little more attacking because right. I remember when we were talking before the game, you had thought maybe Fishlock was going to play as the six. And it it all seems like it it worked out. There was nothing in that lineup, like I said, other than maybe than Marjan as as the false nine that you look at and you say, Oh, well, maybe we should put this player here and that would work out a little bit better. It all the pieces I think are mostly in the right spots.
0: Yeah, agreed. And it it did it did seem obviously like the team was very invigorated by that crowd, you know, at big moments. I mean, obviously it's not shocking that you have Megan Rapinoe kind of be the star of the show in one of the biggest games. You know, her biggest performance of the year so far in the NWSL was the last Cascadia game in, in Providence Park. She loves those big moments. She's a big moment player. Um very funny that she has had three penalties in the last two games. You don't see that a lot in the end of USL, but maybe that's a little bit of uh, US women's national team player magic as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, then maybe my follow up question is OL rain is surging right now. And it's a little bit hard for me. I'll even just admit that as someone who does weekly coverage, you watch a team kind of struggle for so many weeks and mm-hmm. then they suddenly get so much better with the same personnel you struggle to know exactly whether the thing before was the anomaly or whether this thing now is the anomaly and wondering what happens next. So I'm going to ask you the impossible question, John, do you think OL rain has established themselves as a championship contender over the last six weeks?
1: I think they have enough talent to do it. I think we've known that probably since 2020 to be honest, it was all just a matter of could you get the pieces in the right spots and could you make it all work? And I think whether that is the players from abroad taking a few weeks to get adjusted to life and play in the NWSL, whether that's the Olympians coming back, whether that is Laura Harvey coming in and, and giving the team a little bit of juice, I think that uh, they're in that position you'd look at almost every, every player in that lineup and you'd want to have almost every player in that lineup on your team, if you could. And that says a lot.
0: Right. That's pretty much exactly where they're at right now. Um, which is a good place to be, have to be feeling really good. If, uh, if you're an all rain fan, uh, so in fourth in fourth, so this is where I do think that the narratives start to get a little bit muddier, not shocking. We're looking at like fourth through eighth here, still very close. Um, three points between fourth and eighth in fourth though we do have the orlando pride who have not gone away (laughs) they're on a bit of a skid right i think they didn't win a game in like five there was a there was a period of time where they could not win a game the becky burley era i think is a net positive in terms of results at this point i think they're like three and, and two three one and one something like that two one and one um they pull out a win against gotham which is significant and we'll get to that when we talk about gotham because gotham is now in their skid right now Mm -hmm. but the orlando pride have shown a bit of depth and a bit of um versatility perhaps that they were going to need in order to sort of right the ship and by that i mean Depth in that you know the goal scorer this week was Erica Timrak, who is a player who's been coming off the bench, but we know is very people who have been following this league for a long time know that she has the ability to be very very good and has in fact been an important player off the bench for them. But even in terms of versatility, I've been really impressed by the Pride's ability to sort of slot Jody Taylor into the Alex Morgan role and make that really work for them. Yeah, and so I think bringing Jody Taylor in has been very important to them getting those results back as much as anything else. Because when Sid LaRue was alone, it made things really a lot easier to defend for other teams. And so I am always impressed when a system is set up to make attackers look good. And then it's also impressive, I think, in this game that even when the attackers... This was a pretty even game. There weren't really a lot of even shots on goal in this one. A lot of this was played out in the midfield that you have someone like Erica Timrak, who she says she meant it. She says she meant that one. And that was a banger. That was a banger from her.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a little disrespectful, to be honest, that the league account called it a Shross, because if you go back and you watch the replay, she picks her head up once to look at Taylor, and then she takes one more peek. And you can tell she's trying to figure out where Sheridan is, and she went for it. And then, I don't know if you saw, but after the game, she actually quote tweeted the league. Right.
0: She says I I meant it.
1: Yeah, because she did. Right. That was intentional and it was superb.
0: Yeah. So in a game, you know, I've, I've kind of harped on this a little bit, but in games where your team isn't generating a lot consistently, and I'm not putting this just on Orlando, Gotham, wasn't really generating a lot themselves. It was a very physical game. Um, You need those kinds of moments of individual brilliance to sort of break the deadlock. And what actually we've seen in the end of NWSL this year is that many teams have struggled to do that, which is why we're not seeing a ton of separation between teams. And so Orlando, they've got, they've played 17 games. They are in the thick of it and in as good of a position as a number of other teams that we would expect to be in that postseason conversation. I ask this almost every week, but (laughs) I also want to shout out Ashlyn Harris for, for um, I forget the exact number, but she did pass the record for most all time NWSL saves. And that is a, that's a huge accomplishment. And and that's something for the team to be very excited about as well.
1: She also had two stone cold stops on Carly Lloyd. Yeah. Uh, The one, one literally in the first minute and then another one, uh, I think in the 68th minute.
0: Yeah. So Impressive performance from her. Maybe that's actually another indicator here where there are two very strong keepers in this match. And so that sometimes can affect, can affect the attacking output as well, but well done by the pride. Again, they're in that conversation, really hard to tell what's going to happen for them in the next couple of games, but this is exactly where they need to be to keep pace. And anytime again, they pull out three points. I think is very impressive from them, especially against a close rival, which I would consider Gotham to be in terms of, uh, form and where they're planning on shaking out in the league table so the final team in this first half is a team sitting in fifth tied on points and games played with the pride i think actually it's just a tiebreaker between the two of them they've only played once and orlando won it so i think that is the tiebreaker that's holding chicago back the chicago red stars they're in fifth place i think they've moved up a couple places from last week last week i believe they were in seventh They did win their one game this weekend against Kansas city, three to nothing, two goals from Sarah Woldmo and one goal from Katie Johnson. This is another one where Kansas city, honestly played this game. Okay. They looked pretty tired. It was rather even for the most part, but they lost by three. And so I'll ask you the Kansas city question when we get to Kansas city, but. For Chicago, this was a must-win game, not only in that they need the points, but just because if you're not winning a game against Kansas City, I'm not sure what you have to hold on to going down the stretch, right?
1: Yeah, I think what you saw in this game was, and we've talked about this a few other times this year, but kind of a a return to the mean. And uh, I I will say that when Rachel Hill missed that chance early, I think it was like the ninth or 10th minute, I thought, I thought Kansas City was going to come down and score because that that's really kind of been Chicago's M.O. this year is create a few chances in the first 30 minutes, look really good, give up one on the counter or a bad giveaway, and then lose the game 1-0. And uh, that's not what happened. They they found a way. And they were scrappy goals, I think, Um You saw Waldmo on her second one. It was just kind of a loose ball that that she took care of. And then uh, her first one on a corner, which we always kind of joke about in Chicago, that Chicago doesn't score on corners, but they did. Um, And then there was another one when it was still 1-0. Mal Pugh late in the first half had taken on a defender, beat her in the box, and then fired high. And that was another moment. You thought they really needed to put this game away when they had a chance, but they... They still pulled it out. And for a team that doesn't generate a lot of high quality chances, I think this was an important win. I mean, we can we can talk about it being against Kansas City, but Chicago scored three goals. I think that's a little bit of a confidence boost for them. We know their attack has been a bit underwhelming all year, so I'm sure that had to feel good.
0: Right. And I think again, cause we're looking at the table and part of this is sort of some bigger picture stuff. The thing hanging over Chicago's head right now is that they had a pretty front heavy schedule. And so the teams behind them, you know, they Houston has two games in hand mm-hmm. from Chicago, three of the teams ahead of them in the table have a game in hand, both Washington and Gotham, who are the two teams closest to them behind them in the table have a game in hand. So Chicago being in fifth right now at 17 games when a number of teams are at 15, 16 games played is that they have put themselves in a position where they actually probably their winning percentage has to be higher now than it was for these 17 games that they've played already in order to be in the position that they want to be in at the end of the season. For example, their next game is against Gotham. Gotham has a game in hand. That would be, this would be the game that Chicago needs to win if they want to have separation from that particular team. If they don't do that, then Gotham has all of the power in leapfrogging Chicago, right? And so when you look at them, put this good game together, this three nothing win against Kansas City, It was much better in many ways, even just in the literal put ball in goal, sort of sort of a way that you win a soccer game. Um, I will say that I'm not sure it necessarily tells me what's going to happen next, though. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, they've been been wildly inconsistent.
0: They've been wildly inconsistent and they also like I I don't want to discount. You know, they haven't had Vanessa Di for over a month. They haven't had Julie Ertz the entire season. They didn't have Danny Colaprico for this game. They have sent, you know, they sent Sarah Lubert. that She's going to go down and play in Mexico. Um, they've been playing Katie Johnson as a false nine in place of a 10. They have been trying to, you know, work Mal Pugh in more. And she had two assists in this game. Chicago has been working on a deficit a little bit, some of which is not their fault. And some of which is probably the own roster building that they did themselves. And the funny and frustrating thing about Chicago is I think that even now with, you know, what, eight games to go, nine games to go, they are still, it's really just going to depend on how it ends. And that's what we still don't know exactly what is going to happen, but it was a good win. Good win for them. think that again, Mallory Pugh looked very good. I think that Katie Johnson looked very good as well. I've mm-hmm. liked her play over the last couple of weeks. So that has been part one of this week's edition of the equalizer podcast. We will talk about the bottom of the table, the table. Oh gosh. I tried to say bottom and five at the same time, the bottom five of the NWSL table next. Welcome back to this week's edition of the equalizer podcast. I am your host Claire Watkins this week. I am joined by John Halloran and real quick. I'm going to do the thing I do every week. I will ask you to rate and review this podcast. Go ahead and give us five stars. Give us a nice rating helps people find us, which is very, very useful as we try to give women's soccer coverage of the NWSL and beyond for the rest of this year. So we're here. We've been, if you missed part one, for whatever reason, we have been sort of just breaking down the NWSL table after their court We're quite a few games this week, some midweek some this weekend we did the top five congrats to the top five we are now doing the bottom five which they shouldn't feel too hard on themselves some of it's quite close Eh, some of it is getting less and less close with every week um but to start start with the best of the rest here the washington spirit who are currently in sixth they're one point off of that fourth and fifth spot that orlando and chicago share the washington spirit are hard to talk about right now only just in that if you have been following all of their off the field stuff which we've talked about you would think they were a team in turmoil but what we're seeing on the field is a little bit more nuanced than that because sometimes they look quite organized Mm -hmm. and very exciting and maybe this is now that final thing that would be honed by an effective, good, productive coach, which is just that sometimes it's a little bit unfocused. They have a roster that's a little bit lopsided, and they are struggling to find separation between them and everybody else. I don't know. What are your thoughts on Washington, John?
1: I completely agree. It doesn't feel like what we see on the field matches what feels like front office wise is a bit of chaos right now. And, uh, you know, you were nice enough, I suppose, not to mention it, but we had more of that today on top of everything that we've dealt with over the past couple of weeks. They had that situation where it appears, at least uh, according to these initial reports, that the ownership asked that that sign be taken down. And then we have a sell the team chant in the last few minutes of the game. So uh, not a great situation brewing there between the organization and its fan base.
0: Right. Um, Yeah, I uh, you're right. And maybe, you know, indicative of of a nil nil draw, even that this became sort of the main the main story, because, right. The one game that Washington played this week, you know, no goals, just a point. They're kind of keeping pace. They had obviously that Ashley Sanchez banger um, last weekend, but yeah, I think maybe the bigger conversation is. So the team right now, right. They're having their separation from the fan base. It seems pretty clear specifically that the fan base and rightfully are focusing on majority owner, Steve Baldwin as someone whose vision for the team does not match what specifically the supporters groups want for the team um but the team itself maybe there would be more clarity if the team was doing quite well or they were doing quite poorly but in actuality they have moments where they're doing quite well and Mm -hmm. moments where they're doing quite poorly and i'm not sure they have and maybe again this is indicative of a front office that doesn't quite know what they're doing this doesn't look like a team with a lot of guidance to me right now especially even, you know, they don't have a, they don't have an official standing head coach. They bring the Olympians in to this match and they push Paige Nielsen out right out wide to outside back. And you think to yourself, okay, is there a vision here for this? Is there a plan? Is the idea just that we need to, bring O'Hara and Sonnet in, in order to get those players on the field, because we made these high pri- profile trades for them. We need to get them on the field. So we're going to move people out that benches Teagan McGrady, who I thought had been playing pretty well in the Olympians absence. I don't know. Um, or you have a really young player like Trinity Rodman, who is very, very good and has the natural ability to take teams on but still now without a coach you're like what what is the development that is happening here and so maybe it's a similar question even to Chicago which is is this a team that is competing for a championship or is this a team that's just trying to get out of this season sort of with their dignity intact and I'm not sure I know the answer
1: I think that's a really fair assessment. I think in terms of the competitiveness of the league overall, you're probably looking at six teams that could conceive, maybe five that could win it. And I think they're probably one of those teams on on their day. You you talk about getting into the playoffs and then it's a matter of winning three games at that point. And I think they're capable of doing that. I, I do what I wonder is if we go through three or four more weeks of this and there's one or two more things, does that off the field stuff start to bleed into the on the field performances? Because if you're a player, especially in the NWSL where I think the fans, and I'm talking about the fans in the, in the stands, I'm not talking about necessarily on Twitter, but in the stands, I, I, the fans I think are overwhelmingly positive towards the players and i wonder if the players are going to really start to hear and internalize some of that anger in their fan base and if that starts to affect the on-field performances
0: right i think it's a fair question i think again with the, with the absence of and there's you know no disrespect to to chris ward but even the front office has been reluctant to give a full interim tag to anybody. So I don't know exactly what happens next in terms of the leadership in the locker room, though we know that the Spirit has some of the strongest locker room leaders probably in the NWSL. I think very highly of Tori Huster. I think very highly of Andy Sullivan. I do think there are some steady hands there, even just in the team's leadership. But you're right. Once players start wondering who they are doing this for, that's when things I think can begin to get very muddy on the field. Um, But they didn't lose this week. So this is like a lot, this is a lot of doom and gloom for a team. All they did was tie. They got a point against the second team in the league, but they are kind of a team like Chicago that a similar thing where, well, actually maybe not, maybe no, maybe this year truly nobody differentiates themselves from one another and nobody has to get better. (laughs) And it just comes down to the final weekend and you to flip a coin and that's who makes it into the playoffs. But I would think that teams are trying to start to tighten up. We've seen it with the rain, right? We've seen it with the courage. We've seen Portland do quite well. We're seeing that top three. And so now it's just who's willing to tighten up with them and who's able to. So I think that's where Washington's at, but they're not alone because looking at the team in seventh, a similar eh, kind of a similar thing here, Gotham. Gotham lost their GM under dubious circumstances a number of weeks ago. This was their last game with their head coach, who is going to go coach for a different team in the league next year. They have not won a game, I think, in six. And in fact, many of those have been losses. I think it's four losses and two draws. Now, none of those performances have looked dire or super separated from the team that beat them. But you have to wonder again, do the off the field things affect the team? Because you'd have to think, obviously are they affecting these results? And maybe where I want to like, look at that is they lose the Gotham two to one midweek and they lose to the pride one to nothing over the weekend. And I have to admit, I did not watch the Gotham Pride game super duper closely because we were trying to keep an eye on everything. But they've kind of been messing with the defense. Uh, they did that in the midweek. Did they do that today?
1: No, but honestly, that's my biggest thing because there was a lot of dialogue about whether Coombe should stay on or not after, right. after the broke. And a lot of people were saying, no, get her out of there. I didn't have as strong a reaction, but what I couldn't wrap my head around was that you have this coach who's leaving and experimenting with a three back and that we have not seen a lot of teams historically be able to be successful with a three back. It is a wild and massive gamble that rarely pays off. And yet you have a coach who presumably i mean at that point obviously she knew she was interviewing whether she had accepted or been offered is halfway out the door and is experimenting with a new and uh low percentage success rate defensive formation and it kind of seems to send them into this this spiral which is even more surprising when you consider the fact that because Gotham is the 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 XG. Uh, I, I don't even know what the right the right word is, but wizards. Uh, yeah, sure, <laughs> um, because they can give up a fair amount of opportunities and still come out on top. So whatever their chaos defending mentality was, it was working for them largely. And now you kind of throw them into this state of. Advanced chaos, and it really is not going well.
0: Right. I would say at the very least, we're seeing both formation tinkering and some personnel tinkering. They've been rotating the midfield pretty extensively as well. Even sometimes mid-game, we're just seeing a lot of different looks in the midfield for them. They're dealing with injuries. I fully understand that. Imani Dorsey mm-hmm. was out for a yeah. little bit. Mitch Purse yeah. has been out for a long yep. time. Paige Monahan has been out for a long time. Like, I want to respect that because that does sometimes force coaches into going a little bit too far, perhaps, and sort of galaxy-braining the thing that they can do with the players they have available. But you're right. It makes sense to me that I saw just how frustrated Estelle Johnson was by that game against Portland. She was emotive in a way that i'm not sure i've ever quite seen her before especially after they gave up that penalty and i thought to myself yeah exactly they are set up to do blocked shots and last ditch defending and when you take one person away then you have players who just feel like they're drowning in the number overloads i'm not sure it makes sense it or it might But it's something that you work on. You're not working on in the second half of the season. And you're certainly not working on when you're about to leave. So I don't know. And again, this kind of makes it tough to project into the future because as of right now, as of this recording on Sunday night, we don't know who's going to be coaching Gotham next week. um, And what that's going to look like. Now, they do have players talk about strengths in the locker room. They seem like a pretty cohesive group. They have some pretty steady veterans on every single line. But they are also a team that, despite not being sky blue anymore, has had a certain amount of tumult in its near and past history. And that is the kind of thing that you wonder if it starts to seep in a little bit. If you just start to feel like you can't have a season where things are just normal and good. I don't know what that does to a group. I also don't know if that affects kind of the X's and O's when we talk about next. So maybe Gotham shows up in its normal 4-3-3 next week, and they do the stuff that they've already been doing with an interim head coach. And we say to ourselves, Gotham just is who they are, and this is them for the rest of the season. But I do feel like, I feel pretty strongly that this next game, the Chicago-Gotham game next weekend is going to possibly be an inflection point for one of these two teams in going a direction where they don't want to be at the end of the season. And I think that that's just fair to say uh, for both of these squads. Um, and Gotham like, could have got a
1: result tonight too. I mean, what was that Gotham could have gotten a result. Yes, tonight. Right. They had good chances and, and Harris was huge and Tim rack scored a Golazo. So,
0: right. Exactly. Um, which again, that speaks to some of the weirdness of this season. We've seen a yes. number of teams not get the results that they perhaps deserve which is why we're a little bit reluctant to draw too many grand conclusions because sometimes the ball just sort of bounces weird. Moving on to eighth, which maybe this is a good segue because you talk about a team that doesn't feel like it should be an eighth because they've been playing decently well, and they've had a number of good performances and they had one this week. They won their game. Their one game this week against Louisville, the Houston dash in eighth. quick reminder, they're only three points off of fourth. So we're getting the last two teams are maybe indicative of where they will be, but I don't think that is necessarily true for Houston. Houston did nominally have Abby doll Kemper available tonight. They did not dress her. We'll see sort of what the vision is for her as a member of the Houston dash, probably next week. Um, again, sort of difficult to gauge just because they aren't one of the teams that played two games this week and they did play Louisville, which we'll get to Louisville. They looked exhausted. Louisville, I think maybe has run themselves into the ground a little bit here. Um, The goal was gorgeous. The goal that Rachel Daly scored was a fabulous team-wide sequence going up the right-hand side, soft touches, very nice control, wonderfully finished. They get those three points. But they are, again, I mean, it's sort of a similar thing. They've done okay. They've won some games. They've lost some games. They've tied some games. They're going into the home stretch of the season, however, in eighth, which is an uphill climb, right? They've got some of these Olympians back, and they're going – well, all of the Olympians back, but that is also now the process that they're going through, which is reintegrating their Olympians, which is a little bit new for them. We've talked about how they have had way more international absences – this year than they did in 2019. Um, I don't know, John, any thoughts about the Houston dash?
1: I think their integration is a little bit easier because I don't think that their squad is as deep. So I think, you know, exactly where the players coming back are headed into their lineup. Right. Um, The, the dollkeeper thing could get interesting because you feel like Katie Naughton and Megan Oyster have, settled now for two years.
0: Right. I know you said the three back doesn't work, but what if,
1: (laughs) what if, yeah, Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. But the other thing I wanted to say is that they have a game in hand over every other team in the table. Right. And if, if they were to add three points, they would be tied for fourth, which just shows you how absolutely nutters the NWSL is this year. Like if you were a gambler, you would lose a massive amount of money trying to bet on this league because from week to week, every team is either a world beater or in a slump.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. And this is why it's difficult to draw conclusions. Um, I think it's a good sign for Houston or not even a good sign. Cause I don't think we can be projecting anything, but it was good for them on this day that they didn't let this one slip. Louisville tried to make a little bit of a push at the end. Houston didn't let them. Um, that is something that they've struggled with. They've dropped a lot of points late in games like i said the sequence was very good the proof is going to be at the end here for them same as everybody else it we're going to be able to have some some stronger feelings about this because i think maybe what we're coming to is we we're able to draw some small conclusions about the olympic period right about that portland's non olympic core is very very strong yeah or that north carolina lost a few too many people. And then once they got some of those people back, not even all of them, they got, they looked a lot better. Um, but now we're moving back into this transition stage where these teams are not in their final form. But they are trying to get there. And I think that's why you're also just seeing some weirdness here, but I do think it was a good game from Houston, some intrigue about what they're going to do with Abby doll Kemper, but I think just for them, this one, a win's a win. It's a good one. They'll want to win more more of the next ones. I don't have anything really profound to say. Um, Okay. Maybe a little bit more clarity here with our bottom two. Bottom two, these two, and we talked about this before, right? That we've got eight teams that could probably make the playoffs this year. Racing Louisville, losing two games this week, probably maybe did it for them in terms of the playoff race. Maybe they could afford to lose one, probably not both. So Racing Louisville is in ninth. They lost midweek to Kansas City on the road, and they lost, as we said this weekend, on the road in Houston. Louisville got their big Cinderella story last weekend when they won the Women's Cup at home. That's great. For an expansion Mm -hmm. side, that is a legitimate accomplishment. Do you think... Well, separate questions. Do you think that... They could have been a playoff contender this year. And do you think that that tournament maybe sunk it for them?
1: Just out of just workload. workload (laughs) Wow. I think think we probably both knew racing wasn't going to be a contender, but also underestimated where they would be. Um, They would, I think, need kind of spitballing here, six wins in their last eight games to make the playoffs at this point, which is right. beyond a reach, I think. Right. But I also think that we should give that organization and those players some credit because I think that they've put up a much bigger fight and been much more competitive than most of the overwhelming majority of us thought that they would be.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I totally agree. And like I said, I think that that women's cup, they they're going to walk out of this year with a trophy. You know, yeah. as, as limited as that was, that's great for them. Um, in the context of this week, I just think they looked a little bit worn out. They had to do a lot of heavy rotation for that Women's Cup final. They got caught in transition against Kansas City in the midweek. Just really quick transition by Kansas City. Um, Then against Louisville again, I think they just didn't really have it in the tank. And it does just start to feel like there, and this is something that does happen. Maybe this is indicative of, of that thing that we're talking about, which is that the group that they have compiled has been much more competitive probably than we gave them credit for. And they've done quite well, but the issue with a group that is maybe punching above its weight week after week after week is that's exhausting. And I think that might just be what we're seeing a little bit is just a group, having some trouble without the boost that comes with depth and comes with stars who can carry a game for you. I just think that team looks a little bit tired. And I think that that is what we saw this week from them. Um, yeah. I don't know if I have any other big statements about Louisville other than that they're losing pace. Maybe a couple weeks ago, they were in the top ta- in in the running in the conversation. I think that is probably no longer the case but I don't want to say that as a failure because I think they've done quite well. This was just a rough week for them. Now to the final team, <laughs> team in 10th. <tenth>. They've uh, <laughs> they got, they've got 10 points. Definitely what you would say off the pace. They did get a win this week. Kansas City gets their second win of the season. Also at home, as we talked about, the game against Louisville. As we said, pretty quick trigger transition game. They caught Louisville snoozing in the back. Kristen Hamilton had a very nice goal. They have 80 French now, who I think is an, a huge asset to them in the back line. Very assured performance from her, even in this three nothing game that they lose against Chicago. I think 80 French had a very nice match. So my question for you, John million dollar question. You ready? Why does Kansas city keep going pace for pace in terms of shots, passes, possessions duels and losing these games by three or four goals.
1: They don't mark in the box?
0: Yeah, is that just it? I mean,
1: yeah. I don't think any one of Chicago's goals this week was impossible to prevent. Yeah. Right? They they all were a, a marking issue or or I mean at least two of them were clear marking issues. So I just think that you can't give up goals like that. And it's it gets redundant because you hear you hear the announcers basically repeating Hugh Williams word for word um and talking about we played well but we had this one or two moments. Well, that's that's what soccer is. Soccer right. is one or two moments. It's do you finish that one chance? Or do you block that one shot or does your keeper get a fingertip on something and push it wide or over the bar? And, uh, and they just keep failing in the, in those moments of inches two or three times a game. And that's the difference. And some of that is that they don't have quite enough talent. They got some nice players, but they don't have enough talent. And The rest of it is either coaching or belief or whatever intangible you want to, you want to attach to it, but they're missing that as well.
0: If you are the longs, do you give Hugh Williams a full off season?
1: It's a tough question. I think, I think you got to talk to the players a little bit and see where, where their impression is and whether they feel like he can take them forward. That's that, Those candid conversations, and I think to an extent, too, you really have to temper what players say because sometimes unpopular coaches can be very effective coaches, and vice versa. Sometimes very popular coaches are completely ineffective, but I think it's a fair question to ask if they are connecting with him and he is connecting with them. I also wonder about this group in particular because this group has struggled under other coaches for a fair number of years. The core of this group has been together for a few years. The core of this group was well, I don't know if it was the group or what, but this a lot of these players were around during Laura Harvey's last year in Utah. And that was not that was not a team that played with a ton of belief. And that was not a, that was a team very much like the team you're seeing 2 years later, which it, falls apart one moment here, one moment there, and then the result goes away from them. So I also think it's fair to wonder if there's something in this group or something in key members of this group that's not set up to
0: be successful. Right, and I think that for me, and again, disclaimer, just sitting on the outside, I'm just wondering the same questions as everybody else. I'm not sure, this is maybe my question for Hugh Williams is, I've seen a bit of a mixture of trying to cycle that group a little bit and not doing that at all. I think maybe like the two biggest examples or three biggest examples right, is you move Amy Rodriguez out and bring in two players who I think have been great assets for them. I think Haley Mason, Kristen Hamilton Mm -hmm. have been part of getting that change for Kansas City, even just in some of the wins that they have gotten. They waive Nicole Barnhart but then they sign Rachel Corsi to a multi-year contract. And so we're seeing a mixture of some players from that old regime or old team or whatever being moved to different positions. Or again, in the case of Barnhart just com- waived completely, but we've also seen a cornerstone of that be told that she is going to be the cornerstone of this team as well. And so I just, I'm interested by that and I am also interested by some of the young pieces on the team that we're not seeing play a lot. I'm a big fan of Kate Del Favre. That, that's exactly sure who I was going to say.
1: I, yeah. it, it boggles my mind because I thought she was one of the bright spots of the challenge cup for them in 2020. And she's right. just disappeared this year.
0: Yeah. It's taken a while for Elizabeth ball to consistently get starts I, you know, we're both from Chicago. I'm not entirely sure why Michelle Vasconcelos is not playing more. They have a very, uh, they don't have a very wide formation. They play a lot of central players. I'm not sure why they aren't bringing on wide players to play a little bit more. I'm not entirely sure why Jessica Silva isn't playing more. It's just, I, that's part of, I guess, my question about Hugh Williams is just, there are some decisions there that I don't completely understand. And it is difficult to know if it's the coaching or if it's what's happening in training
1: yeah and you know it it, it for different reasons I, at least I hope it reminds me a little bit about what you would see out of teams um, like when sky blue or the spirit were in some of their down years mm-hmm. and you just felt like there was there was a feeling in the team that you couldn't quite identify. Now later on, we found out some things that were happening. And so I don't know exactly where that comes from, but there's just something about the core of that group that for three years now has just not been right.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see. They've got a number of games left. You hope that they've got a couple more wins in them, but at the very least you would hope that they have, they are immune, right? They are uh they are protected from immune probably the wrong Yeah, word. apparently yeah, yeah, but
1: apparently that comes to some teams and not others. Yeah, so. right.
0: Um but yeah, so we'll see. Um Yeah, you're just looking for arcs. I guess maybe that's the overarching theme this week is just we would love to be able to say some definitive things about this season and yet it is eluding us. Um But that's exciting. That means that this home stretch is going to be it's going to come down to the wire. Some teams, there are going to be some teams really disappointed with how this ends, and it'll be fascinating to see who it is. Any final thoughts, John, on, on this weekend and on this week again? games? Uh, I'm We're glad I. Moves towards the future, right? We see some <laughs> press. You know?
1: Yeah, I suppose, but I mean, it's hard to even know what's happening with so many of these moves with the expansion draft coming.
0: Right. All will be revealed in the future. <laughs> gonna be playing in these damn playoffs or even who's gonna where it's gonna be where the playoffs gonna be John you know (laughs) nope nope okay all right (laughs) it's getting late we should wrap it up thanks so much for listening to this week's edition of the Equalizer Podcast I am your host Claire Watkins thank you John so much for joining me shout out to our producer extraordinaire Jacqueline Purdy and to Blue Wire Podcast our distributor we will be back next week with I'm sure a bunch of wild crazy chaotic NWSL action